This is Hockey Central 960 with Haley Salvian on your official home of the Flames, Sportsnet 960, The Fan. All right, it's a potentially big day in Calgary. News conference about the uh, often discussed, long-awaited potential replacement for the Scotiabank Saddle Dome is going to be held at 3.30 today, featuring representatives from the city, uh, Calgary Sports Entertainment Company, and the province. Uh, so we got news today, important announcement regarding the future event center at 3.30 Mountain Time. That came out of uh, the city council meeting today. Uh, CSEC president and CEO John Bean's going to be there. Uh, the mayor's going to be there, as I mentioned, representatives from the team in the province. Sounds like they might have struck a new event center deal. Uh, we are going to try to have that news conference and that announcement uh, taken live here on sports at 960 uh so be on the lookout for that we'll have more updates potentially on that scheduling in this show or into the next hour before that announcement again that's going to be at 3 30 uh welcome into hockey central here on sports at 960 the phantom Haley salvian here with you for the next hour that's the big news of the day uh you know for for the local market here is yeah is this going to be the one is this gonna? Is this finally gonna be the event center that fans can see? Um, Ryan Pike has done a great job with this over the last couple years. Um, he's with Flames Nation. You hear him here on Sports at Nine Sixty all the time as well. Uh, <laughs> I guess we could kick this back to 2013 when the Saddle Dome flooded, and then in 2015 we got Calgary next. 2017 negotiations break down 2019 we get a deal uh, and then in december 2021 that deal breaks down but april 2023 looks like we might have a deal i hope this is the one for flames fans who are looking for a new home for the calgary flames who've been who've been wanting this for a long time um we will hopefully get some more details about that again at 3 30 this afternoon <laughs> just uh, let us know in the text line 960 960 is this finally the one do you have a memory of the saddle dome let us know what you think are you excited for this news do you have like a sense of dread with this news considering we've been talking about this for years let us know in the text line 960 960 uh, and other uh calgary news before we get into some of the playoff matchups andrew mangiapani has underwent successful shoulder surgery the team announced this afternoon and he will be ready for participation in training camp says the flames could maybe explain the down year for andrew mangiapani uh wonder how long he is playing through that uh, but we also don't want to speculate too much don't know when and how that happened uh, but we do know that he had surgery and he's expected to be ready and healthy for camp next year um, throughout the show today we're going to have Patrick O'Neill uh, from the LA Kings he covers the Kings he's a play-by-play -play reporter color analyst for the Kings he's going to join the show shortly here to tee up a big game between the LA Kings and the Edmonton Oilers game five of what's been a really fun series three overtimes in one game that was essentially a one goal contest between those two uh, teams so that's been a fun series we'll talk to Patrick coming up soon and then Thomas Drance from the Athletic he 
typically covers the Vancouver Canucks, and you hear him on uh, Sportsnet in Vancouver as well. But he's actually been in Seattle covering that Kraken series. Again, another really fun one. A lot of the Western Conference series have been great, really physical, really fast. Lots to dig into there. Um, the last piece of news of the day and I guess it could relate locally here because Kale McCarr, local guy, he's been suspended for one game uh, after a hearing with the Department of Player Safety for interference on Jared McCann last night in game four between the Avs and the Kraken. The hit was in the first period. Uh, McCarr was assessed a major penalty on the play, but it was changed to a minor for interference after video review. Didn't agree with that. It was a really late hit. The puck looked like it was in the stands by the time a car got to McCann. And Dave Haxtall actually, after the game, said, quote, I believe the puck is being caught by a fan as McCann is being run into the end wall. Uh, Haxtall was not happy. Their 40 goal score was not available to them for the rest of the game. He did say uh, as well that McCann is not going to play in game five and his status for the rest of the series slash rest of the playoffs should the Kraken continue is not known at this time. He's obviously a very important player for Seattle, so that's a big loss. McCarr, on the other hand, said he didn't realize the puck had gone out of play. He wasn't trying to hurt anybody, and I believe him. Like, I don't think anyone's accusing Kale McCarr of being a bad guy or a dirty player. Like, he's not a villain. This is this is the guy who waved off a weak penalty call that the refs called, you know, this season because he was like, no, no, don't don't give us a power play that wasn't a penalty. He's been on uh, Lady Bing votes, et cetera, over the last couple of years. The, the first couple of years of his career. Nobody thinks Kale McCarr is a villain, um, but two things can be true. He, he seems like a good guy, but that was a bad hit. It was a very late hit, and I'm not surprised at all that there was a suspension for that hit on Jared McCann. Uh, but we will table that discussion about the Kraken and the Avs for later in the show. And Drance joins us, and now we're going to go to the Atlas Pizza Guest Hotline and welcome in Patrick O'Neill uh, covers the LA Kings sportscaster in LA. Uh, Patrick, what's up? Welcome to the show. Haley, thanks. Pizza. Hey, clip this for posterity. Kings in six. They're going to dominate tonight. Get the crowd out of it. Why? Kopitar and Dowdy, they've been down on the ropes before. <laughs> down 3 0 to the Sharks. No problem. No panic. Better goaltending tonight. Fired up for game five. Oh my goodness. Well, you took, I was saying like, I was going to come on at this. Like, how's everyone feeling? You're in Edmonton. It's game five tonight. Like, what's the, what's the vibe check? Seems like it's pretty good. I, uh, I was expecting this series to go the distance. (laughs) Calm and confident over there? No, a hundred percent. Didn't mean to interrupt you there for sure. So confident. And yeah. You know, they, they coughed up a 3 nothing lead. They had it 4-3 in the third period. And, you know, it was an incredible snipe by Kane. I think the Hyman goal was something Corpusali, you know, he's got to make that save, no doubt. But on the plane with the team heading over yesterday, just nice and easy, a nice, easy skate today. Guys are working on their game. But the reason why I like the Kings tonight, because Adrian Kempe, Andre Kopitar, and Kevin Fiala, the difference that he has coming back. That line mm-hmm. with Phil Deneau and Trevor Moore outstanding. And, you know, and excuse me, it, the third line with Fiala and I have follow and Gabe Velarde is he's an X factor for me. The way he has mm-hmm. been playing, silky hands. It's going to be a, it's going to be a fun game tonight. Absolutely. And I mean, you mentioned it. Game four slipped away from the Kings after it looked like they were going to go up three one in the series. Edmonton ends up getting the win in overtime. 
Is that just like a, you know, you got to be a goldfish and wipe the slate clean? Or can they use pieces of that game to say, all right, let's make sure that this was just a blip along the way and not a what might have been type moment for, for this team? Well, you guys know Daryl Sutter well. He used to say when he coached the Kings, you park it and you move on. They left that one in L.A. It's a best of three right now. Kings won game five here a year ago, and, you know, they were a different team. Um, they, they have Drew Doughty back. They didn't have Doughty for that series, and they did not have Kevin Fiala for that series. They, they know what it's like now uh, to win, and they know what it felt like to lose. Listen, Edmonton, you've you got to stay out of the box. This is the most potent power play in NHL history, and they, they proved it certainly in game four. Dry Saddle's on the ice for every single goal. It's incredible how good he has been. And, of course, McDavid's fantastic. So stay out of the box gives you a much better chance to win. Mm-hmm. And, you know, talking about dry sidle, you know, looking at the other, <laughs> looking at the other end, uh, there's two guys you got to pay attention to in Edmonton, obviously, more than just two. But Connor McDavid, the team has done really well to, you know, kind of quiet his offense a little bit. What have the Kings been able to do to kind of stifle some of McDavid's offense so far through four games? It's funny. We were doing the Kings postgame show the other night, and Derek Armstrong, he's on the show with the Jared Stoll. And uh, Army was like, I think, you know, I think uh, and McDavid's been pretty quiet so far. And Stoll is like, he's got three assists. I mean, are you kidding me? Quiet. But I guess that's what it felt like. Um, uh, five on five, I think the Kings, the, the old, you know, take his time and space away. These guys are so good. You give them any space, they blow right past you. I think, you know, if you look at the top two pairs for the Kings, Drew Doughty and Mikey Anderson have been a solid shutdown pair, five on five all season. And the second pair, you know, when they acquired uh, Vladislav Gavrikov, as well as Jonas Korpisalo, uh, from Columbus, you know, in that Jonathan Quick trade, and then got flipped to Vegas. I mean, these guys have been unreal. So you got you, you needed that stay-at-home left shot D for that second pair, and he also jumps up in the play. But those top two pairs are, have been uh, excellent at slowing down, you know, dry not dry sidle, but doing their best <laughs> to contain these guys. They're outstanding players. And you mentioned the stat, Dreisaitl on the ice for all of Edmonton's goals. He has been unbelievable for the Oilers. I mean, we already knew that he was a gamer in the playoffs. Flames fans saw that last year when he was going to work against them on one leg. And now we're seeing what Dreisaitl can do when he's got two. Uh, five goals and nine points through four games heading into tonight. With him on the ice, the Oilers are outscoring the Kings 7-3 to three at 5-5. Five five. In all situations, Oilers have scored 14. He's been on the ice for every single one as we just talked about kings have done well to slow down mcdavid but that's what makes the oilers so tough is they've got they've got two of those guys so they can't let dry get too much room either are there adjustments that they can make when it comes to trying to shut down leon as well or is that just you know got to keep trying to do what they're doing with mcdavid and on, on dry as well i think you know Haley. all four games have been you know incredibly tight right three of the four mm-hmm. overtime and the other game game two loss was the late empty netter of four two it's a, it's a one goal game so uh, i just think the kings just stick with what they're doing you know i think with Anje kopitar again and drew dowdy you know having you know the the championship pedigree you know the two cups the one in 14 down 3-0 in the first round of the sharks coming back being in the room you know today after the skate just going around talking to all the guys and listening in certainly with some of the media questions absolutely no panic such a (laughs) sense of calm in the room so uh, they're absolutely ready it's crazy i mean being here for game one and two i wasn't here in edmonton last year was covid and we weren't able to really all travel but man it's loud it's all orange but it's um, it's just a great atmosphere. So that, I think I think the Kings really enjoy playing on the road and playing spoilers. They, they kind of love they relish that. 
Oh, yes. But the first two games went pretty similar with the Oilers getting out to a quick lead in front of their their hometown crowd, you know, to get some good power play opportunities, get on the board early. And then the Kings get to Kings get to play the spoiler as the the game goes on. It's been pretty fun to watch. I love this series. I when I saw that we were going to get a rematch of last year's uh, first round between these two teams, knowing the way that it went last year, how close the Kings were last year. Like we get to do this again. And now the Kings, as you mentioned, have guys like Fiala on this roster, Corpusalo, Gavrikov. Like this is a different Kings team than last year. And this series is, it's a lot of fun. I'm, I'm very into it. Yeah. It's one of my favorite of the, of the first round. No, I agree. I think it's the best series so far. I mean, NHL playoffs is the best. The other guy that wasn't part of the, the seven game series last year is Victor Arvidsson. And uh, he's been mm-hmm. so good in this um, in this series so far. So when you look at, you know, Dano Arvidsson and Moore as that second line, I, I would like to see Quentin Byfield, and a lot of people say this back home in, in L.A., to, to find a way to get on the score sheet. You know, a, a one empty net goal in 30 games, you know, he's on the top pair, excuse me, on the top line with, with Kopitar and Kempe. It'd be great if he could chip in. Um, that would be outstanding for the young man. But um, I, I really think with, with the juice, Adrian Kempe with 40-plus goals and – and with the way Arvidsson is playing, and then now Fiala on the third line. I think that the fourth line got exposed a little bit, and the Kings got to be wary of playing Dowdy and Kopitar big, big minutes. They were, they were shortening the bench in the last game. So, man, if they could roll four, four lines, that would be huge. And, and I know we're on in Calgary, and I, I'm pretty sure we have a lot of Kings fans uh, rooting, uh, <laughs> rooting for L.A. Right. here in this series. Would that be accurate? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> All right, just making sure. <laughs> oh, yeah. Go Kings! Come we, on now. Yeah, this uh, you know, let us know on the text line nine sixty nine sixty. But that's kind of been the conversation. You know, is it is everybody all in trying to get a Canadian team to to win a Stanley Cup for the first time in in years and years, or is the is a run so deep that everyone in Calgary is like, yeah, we're Kings fans now? So I've been asking that question since the playoffs started, and and you know, we had a couple who were like, you know what, let's cheer for Edmonton, like they're in the same province, like it's all right, go Oilers. But we've got a lot of people uh, rooting for the Kings in in this market right now for sure. Oh, that's good. It, it's kind of fun. There is a bit of a difference, right? I mean, L.A. Let's face it, it's Lakers, it's Dodgers, um, and and then the Kings. We have a great you know support back home and, and crypto.com now, right? It's, it's, it's yes. jumping. It's a great building. They had one of the best years at home this year and ever, but I'm just flipping on the TV, flipping through the, the news here in Edmonton or the channels and uh, the weather report is on the guy's wearing his Oilers sweater. I'm like, all right, that's the difference. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Not that back home. <laughs> no, not quite. Um, you know, looking more at this series of tee up to tonight's game five, you know, looking at some of the new additions this year. Kevin Fiala missed the first couple games of the series. He comes in, he's got two assists in his first game of this postseason. How are the Kings a different team with Kevin Fiala in the lineup? Man, they are so deep with, with Fiala. As soon as he hit the ice, yeah, he missed the first three games. He was he basically had a, a scoring chance right away. It was a nice, beautiful backdoor pass that I have followed. Should have buried. I don't know. Somebody must have got a stick on it. And then he, you know, picks up two assists in the game. Um, he's a game breaker. He's um, somebody that they ha- we have not seen in, in Los Angeles in many, many years. He was going to be the, the leading scorer on the team and, until, he, until he got hurt and Kopitar uh, you know, won the scoring uh, title for the team for the 15th time in 16 seasons. But uh, he's just a great player, you know, and just having 22 on the ice makes all the difference. You can roll those three lines, and you have scoring threat, you know, on all three lines. So 
Kevin Fiala is uh, a, a tremendous player. That was a that was a great move, great trade, sign and trade for for Rob Blake and the Kings. How has Kopitar been able to continue being such a valuable, if not the most valuable player for the LA Kings for as long as he have? I almost feel like he's somebody who. I don't want to say people like outside of that market forget about because he's certainly not, but I just wonder if there's people in a lot of markets who, who knew that Kopitar was still clicking along at the level that he has been for, for this Kings team. Yeah. He hasn't slowed down. In fact, it's been one of his best seasons. Uh, it's just another 70 point season, uh, 70 plus He had four uh, penalty minutes on the season in 82 games two minors, a couple of trips, one in Washington, one in Montreal, that's it. He has to be a finalist for Selkie. He's won two. You know, he's been a finalist for MVP. I think he should have won it that year because he's a two-way player, all 200 feet, kills penalties, top power play unit, five on five. He's a horse out there, played 33 minutes last game. Uh, he's he's going to get the, the banner. He's a, he's a first ballot Hall of Famer. And he's one of the, the best in, in Kings history and uh, just, just a leader. He is, he's tremendous. And I think he's somebody that will carry this team to the, to the first round series win over Edmonton. Not going to be easy. They're a good team. I know it, but I, I do like the Kings in this one. Where would this team be without that blockbuster trade that you mentioned earlier with Columbus at the deadline? Like Corpus Allo and Gavrikov have been great additions to this roster yeah. down the stretch run and into the playoffs. Like just how well have they worked out for, for LA? Well, the Kings for most of the season, Haley, they just had like, they had five right shot D they just had, you know, like Jersey playing on his off wing. Sean Walker was playing on his off wing. It's hard right shot playing on the left. They needed a left shot D now it was hard to trade Jonathan quick, but you pick up a Corpusalo with playoff experience, Gavrikov with playoff experience. The trade absolutely worked. Both these guys are free agents. Can you sign one? Can you sign both? The Kings were flip-flopping Phoenix Copley and, and Jonas Corpusalo almost right up until the last week of the season. They were alternating starts. But then you kind of got the feeling, all right, Jonas is going to be the man. He got the last couple of starts of the regular season. And in the last game, you know, he was a, a couple of goals under, you know, save expected. But otherwise, in, in the first three games, he was really, really good. He was making big saves on, on Connor McDavid. So um, I expect a better game from Corpus Solo here tonight. And the other thing that I like about Gavrikov, very rangy, great reach, but he jumps up into the play. And offensively, he's been a, he's been a bonus for sure. So this series has had three overtime games and another that was essentially a one goal contest. Uh, seems like the series is destined to go the distance. I know you say Kings and six, but would it be the worst thing if we got seven games of this? Well, only for those of us that have to fly back for game seven. <laughs> no, uh, you know, if it goes <laughs> right. seven, that'd be great. It'd be exciting. It, it's good for, it's definitely good for hockey. Luckily, I just hope I get to be, on that team plane again, because there are no direct flights up here to Edmonton. So I know a couple of our guys on the crew, they got a guy that will go through San Francisco or Vancouver and customs. They're not happy, but I was fine with it. But I, I think that it would be tough. It would, it would game seven, but it would be exciting. Um, wouldn't hate it. You know, would love to see, uh, and there's nothing like game sevens in the NHL. It's just so exciting. Um, so much fun to be a part of. Um, the LA Kings have great support. Um, but I, I think the most important thing for the Kings is the start of this game. The first two games, they almost got skated right out of the building. They you know, withstood some pressure. They had to come back in both of those games. 
but they were better in three and four in the first period. Home ice, perhaps, the crowd behind them. But I think that, to me, the first 10 minutes will be very telling here tonight. All right. Awesome stuff, Patrick. we got a couple more minutes left here with you. I guess one final question. You know, other than their start, is there any other thing that you think this Kings team needs to maybe tweak or adjust to to be successful in Game 5? Is it is it special teams? Because there's been a ton of them throughout this series. I feel like power plays and PKs have been a major talking point between these two teams. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you look at, like, listen, there's been complaints about some of the calls, right, in, in this series. <laughs> right. Um yeah, from the from Edmonton's perspective, um, it, that looked like a trip on on Lazat to me, but a lot of people felt that was kind of a, a ticky tack call, right? Um, but, but that was clearly a cross check um, by Bouchard at the end, and it, you know, in Game One, Edmonton feels they probably could have won if it wasn't for those calls. But you can't take those penalties. There was a tripping call in Game Four, the second period on Kevin Fiala on Drysaddle that many people in L. L.A. think there's no way that was a, a trip. Well, just then don't put your stick in there. But you have to find a way to stay out of the penalty box. So the Jersold's always telling us, he's like, look, three or less, that has to be the key. Um, the Kings made a, had a big kill in overtime. Um, their penalty kill wasn't great this year, but it got better as the, the season went along. But they're, they're two very good um, power play units. The Kings were a top five power mm-hmm. play unit, you know, and Edmonton was number one best in history. But Tom McClellan said it in the presser today. That's why you're not seeing a lot of that extracurricular stuff after the whistles because both teams have a lot of respect for how good the, the other um, power play is. So um, I expect yeah. five on five to be the difference tonight, but I, I couldn't tell you what the Kings want to do to tweak. I think they played very, very well so far. They just got to stick mm-hmm. with it. Absolutely. It's been a great series, as I mentioned, like one of my one of my favorite ones that I've been watching so far. And I'll be certainly watching tonight uh, game five between the Kings and the Oilers. Thanks so much for doing this, Patrick. I appreciate it. Haley, it's my pleasure. Are you allowed to make a pick for this series or have you already? I just haven't heard. I don't I haven't made picks on the radio. I think I wasn't as all in on the Oilers. A lot of my colleagues picked the Oilers to go all the way to the Stanley Cup. Um, I picked Oilers in seven because I thought, you know, McDavid would go and over the top and take them to the second round when it mattered. But I wouldn't be angry to be wrong about that because I think the Kings have a lot of depth there. So we'll see. I might be wrong. I wouldn't be mad about it. All right, good. Well, that's good to know. I appreciate you having me on. It's been a fun conversation and, uh, uh, best of luck to you. You guys uh, sound great on the radio and I hope to talk to you again. All right, awesome. Thanks, Patrick. If you know Kings win in six, we'll have you on in the second round, okay? All right. All right, you got it. (laughs) All right, there he goes. Patrick O'Neill, sportscaster, covering the L.A. Kings. You can hear him on play-by-play, color, reporting, uh, real Swiss Army knife there. Kings in six is bold. I don't know. I wouldn't be mad about that. I think it'd be very funny, actually. That's kind of been been my take whenever the Kings have been up in these games. Uh, they've got a lot. They can shut down McDavid. Again, as I mentioned there with Patrick, though, they've got to find a way to uh, to take away some of the time and space from Leon Dreisaitl because 14 goals that that team has scored, he's been on the ice for every single one of them, uh, outscoring his opponents at 5-on-5, five five, a 7-3 to three when he's on the ice as well. And that's what makes the Edmonton Oilers so difficult is it's not just McDavid it's Dreisaitl it's Evander Kane even Ryan Nugent Hopkins is having a great season that's why I picked the Oilers in the first round uh we'll see it looks like Stuart Skinner 
is expected, not looks like, he is expected and is going to start in Game 5, uh, despite getting pulled for Jack Campbell, who came in and pretty much saved saved the game for Edmonton, I would say, 26 saves on 27 shots when he came into that game in the third period, and then Zach Hyman gets the OT winner. So there's a lot to like. They're a much better team this year. They're built better this year, uh, but the Kings are a real formidable opponent, uh, obviously, given the fact that this series is tied 2-2, and the Kings have done really well against Edmonton so far. So as I mentioned, I love that series. I can't wait to watch that game tonight. And that conversation with Patrick O'Neill is brought to you by Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar using the same secret recipe since 1975. You can dine in at 6060 Memorial Drive Northeast. Take order delivery at 403-248-3344. Once again, on the text line 960-960, let me know, let us know who are you guys cheering for throughout the playoffs. I feel like if you're a Flames fan looking for somebody to cheer for, and it's not just we got one note in the text line, uh, you know, from one fan who really doesn't like the Kings. They do not like Drew Doughty at all, so they do not like the LA Kings, so that's all right. Uh, Another texter said, you know, just not Edmonton. Um, I guess if you're looking for another option, maybe you jump on the Leafs bandwagon because Mark Giordano, uh, months away from his 40th birthday, is one win away from from having some success in the postseason. Finally, he had the assist on the game-winning goal last night and the huge comeback win in Tampa by the Toronto Maple Leafs down 4-1. Yes, we have the it was 4-1 jokes. Um, but it was 4-1, and Toronto comes back, wins a 5-4. It's a Mark Giordano point shot that Alex Kerfoot tips in to win it in OT. Uh, but we all know we've heard from uh, players, coaches, fans. We hear it every year in the playoffs. That fourth win of the series is the hardest one to get. The Leafs have a couple opportunities to get it, but nobody. Uh, I don't think anybody is ready to say for certain that this year is going to be different until Toronto gets that fourth win because Tampa's still Tampa. Vasilevsky's been human, but uh, he uh, he's still got the pedigree. So we'll see how that series finishes. Uh, another text, anyone but Edmonton. I guess that's what we're leaning into. That's why we brought in LA Kings. We're looking at the Kings side. We like, we like L.A. on this program today, heading into Game 5 between these two teams. Um, a couple texts that we got before we had to break uh, about the event center. We had a fan here who, uh, who has a Saddle Dome tattoo on their arm. So I guess now I'll need to get a change, they say. I just hope we don't end up with a rectangle like Rogers or, with a Rogers slash Scotiabank logo on it. Something cool and unique like the Saddle Dome is slash was. And Cam obviously responded, the Saddle Dome will forever be iconic. Your tattoo will always be valid. It's absolutely it's right. Yeah, it's true. I love the I love the Saddle Dome. I mean, I know it's old. <laughs> it's got its issues. The locker rooms are tiny. Mackenzie Weger was saying, what, 10 days ago, 11 days ago, Cam, probably need a new arena? Mackenzie Weger is getting stuff done. More blunt than that. I think it was just, we need a new <laughs> arena. I think that they need to keep the iconic dome shape, but maybe yeah. level out the roof inside for better music and acoustics. Yeah, so you can have concerts. You don't have to drive to Edmonton to go yeah. and see oh, yeah. Yeah, but you, artists. You keep the iconic Calgaryness of it and just make it more modern. I love that it's... My favorite dad joke uh, is bringing people near the dome for the first time and saying, hey, did you know that this looks like a saddle? That's pretty good. I don't think anyone's ever said that before. 
I gotta. Are you serious? Gotta, Did you know that the saddle dome is shaped like a saddle? I'll have this to do that to my friends who are coming this summer. Huge reporting news. Yeah, you heard it here first, folks, on Sports at nine sixty. The fan. This is this is Hockey Central, where you get the goods. Um, but I think the dome is iconic. But yes, I think everybody is in agreement that it needs a refresher. Do we have an update? Are we going to get that announcement live for for everybody listening? Three thirty. Still, uh, still standing by on that, but uh, we'll right. we'll tweet it out if we if we confirm we're getting it. All right, yeah. So look out for that programming note, guys. Um, in the meantime, that's coming up in about an hour. Uh, but in the meantime, we're going to head to break. And when we come back, we're going to be joined by Thomas Drance from The Athletic and from Sportsnet 650 in Vancouver. Going to look at the other Western Conference playoff matchup from tonight. That is uh, from yesterday, excuse me. That is Abs and Kraken. And look a little bit more at the Kale McCarr suspension. Jared McCann potentially being out for the next couple games here. That's coming up next on Sports at 960 The Fan. You're listening to Hockey Central 960 with Haley Salvian on your home of the Flames, Sportsnet 960, The Fan. All right, welcome back to the program. Just a little under an hour away from the uh, event center announcement. I wonder what it could be. We did get here, uh, we did hear in the break that we're going to take that announcement at 3.30 here on Sportsnet 960, the fan uh, that'll come in the middle of Flames Talk with Pat Steinberg. And then uh, I'm sure Pat will react to it after. So stick around on the station for that. You know, maybe Pat will just ignore it completely. He'll take the, I think this is how it's going to go, Cam, actually. Pat is going to take the announcement at 3.30 and then he's going to come back and then not and talk then about gonna, it at So all. anyways. Sorry about that interruption. Nothing to see here. So sorry to hear from the the mayor of the city and everything. Uh, anyways. <laughs> anyways. Back to roster building for 2024. We did get a, a great note in the text line, and we'll get to Thomas Drance in a second here because he is on the line as we look back at the abs cracking game from last night and look ahead to the rest of that series. But this is from Eric in Calgary, and 100% agree. Eric says whatever they do, just make it end in dome. I do not want to stop saying I'm head, heading to the dome tonight. And I certainly never want to say, hey, are you guys heading down to the CSEC? 100%. And even if it was called the Calgary Sports Event Center, I still think people would call it the dome. Like I grew up in Toronto. I grew up going to the Sky Dome. It is still the Sky Dome, and I've never called it anything else. If I'm going to a Jays game, I'm going to the Dome. But I get what Eric is saying, and I totally agree. Don't call it the Event Center, even though they're probably going to call it the Event Center. Call it the Event Dome. <laughs> the Calgary Sports and Event Dome. The I think that's dome. great. I think, I think that, I think that really rolls off the tongue. Absolutely. Anyways. More on that later on the on the not on this show but on Pat Steinberg's show and we're gonna go to the Atlas Pizza guest hotline and bring in Thomas Drance. Uh, he's from you hear him on Vancouver Sportsnet nine sixty. I'm so sorry. Someone just said call it the Battle Dome and I had to stop and say that's great. I love that. Yeah, absolutely. Book it. Call it the Battle Dome. Uh, let's bring in Thomas Drance. I apologize. I love the text line when they're not being. Uh, angry towards me uh thomas what's up <laughs> Sorry, this is, hey Haley, how are you i'm doing well we're trying to name the new calgary arena and i, I what do you think the battle dome i i like it <laughs> battle dome's fantastic although it sounds like a facility that should host slam ball games um <laughs> you know 
w- one thing one thing that uh, is sort of interesting to me coming back from covering the Kraken, right, is, mm-hmm. a- and this applies to the team I cover too, right? The Vancouver Canucks and the Calgary Flames have a pretty crucial commonality, right, which is that they're two of 32 teams in the NHL that stand alone apart from the rest of the league uh, as clubs that don't have a designated practice facility, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yep. Both both play in aging buildings, although the the urgency with which the Saddle Dome is aging is is more significant than yeah. than ro- what it is for Rogers Arena. But make no mistake, I mean the Canucks were basically dislocated during the preseason, like right after training camp last year, as a result yeah. of renovation overruns that occurred at the arena. Uh, there's a chance that we'll deal with that again uh, next season uh, as a result of you know, expected seat upgrades, potentially a new Jumbotron at Rogers Arena, and, and that's Jeez. really just scratching the surface. The CapEx investment that the Vancouver Canucks require uh, is, is going to be big in, in terms of upgrading that arena over time here. And, you know, at some point, you go and cover Seattle, as I did this week, and you see mm-hmm. that world-class practice facility, and, and you watch a game, a playoff game in that barn, and see some of the premium spaces and, and all of the things that they're able to do with that space. And, yeah. you know, it matters. And I don't think it just matters from a fan experience perspective. I think it matters from a player recruitment perspective. Uh, I think it matters from Absolutely. the perspective of, you know, um, retaining top talent, getting them to take less against the salary cap, right? Like everything that we know you need to be able to do successfully if you're going to win in this league. So, um, was was sort of something that I noted, like a prominent takeaway for me, um, cu- coming out of that Calgary series, or sorry, that uh, covering the Kraken this week in Seattle was, mm-hmm. you know, the, the Canucks are going to have to get on it if they're going to win some of these faceoffs to maybe re- like sign a player who's interested in coming to the Pacific Northwest and considering multiple options in the future. Uh, and we know that Calgary definitely needs a new barn. Players are explicitly talking about it. <laughs> and uh, and we certainly heard what Elias Lindholm and, and um, Mikhail Backlund had to say about their futures. Does that conversation yeah. shift if the Flames occupy a world-class facility? I mean, it doesn't hurt, right? Like, And nope. I think it's interesting when you talk about Vancouver and Seattle in this perspective, too, because it's like, well, if, if, it, if a player is down to picking the Canucks or the Kraken, and, you know, everything's a dead tie, like salary, everything, whatever it may be. It's a dead tie. And they're like, well, where do I where would I rather live and where would I rather play? Like they're going to go to Climate Pledge. Mm-hmm. That arena is unbelievable. Their practice facility is unbelievable. The, the player experience seems unreal. Like that stuff does matter <laughs> at the end of the day. Yeah. So it's a, it's a well, good point. You've got the perspective of having just been there uh, during their first playoff victory on home ice at the "Quote unquote biggest game in Kraken history." I bet it was a great place to be last night. <laughs> yeah, it was an unbelievable atmosphere, and you know, actually, it was a better atmosphere than what we saw and on Saturday night for the first sort of Stanley Cup playoff game to be played in Seattle in 103 years. Right, uh, that was sort of the more hyped game leading up to it. That felt more like you know you, an event you can feel in the pit of your stomach, uh, more anticipated. Yeah. But you know, I sort of wonder like. We see this happen sometimes where, you know, if you're a season ticket holder and you can make back half your investment by selling one ticket, (laughs) like we sometimes see that. I wonder if more of the hardcores were there last night because while the arena blew up when given cause to uh, for game three on Saturday night in Seattle, 
the the noise was far more sustained in, in game four. The the crowd was a little bit different. You know, the the chance, the let's go Kraken sort of permeated throughout the night. And then obviously once you get the bad blood from a really dirty hit uh, that Kale McCarr yes. uncharacteristically threw on Jared McCann, like, you know, uh, half a minute <laughs> after he had relinquished mm-hmm. the puck, um, you know, I, I think that added to, gave that game an edge, certainly had the Kraken uh, chasing McCarr around, not an easy guy to catch, but they, they managed to hit him a few times and, uh, and certainly amped up sort of the bad blood, the enmity between those two teams. Um, and now with McCarr suspended, we certainly have ourselves a series. Absolutely. So in game five, I want to talk to you a bit more about the Kraken, obviously, because you were at those last two games, Drance. In game five, the Avs are going to be without five of their top 11 scorers from the 2022 Cup run. No Makar, right. no Landeskog, no Nachushkin, no Kadri, no Burakovsky. Obviously, we know that Andre Burakovsky is now on the Seattle Kraken. The, we always knew, like, looking at this series, it was going to be the Avs' elite talent versus Seattle's depth. And what we've obviously seen now that this series is tied 2-2 is that Seattle's depth is doing a very good job trying to quiet down or at least contain a lot of the Avs' talent. 11 different goal scores for the Kraken so far in the postseason is like the most Seattle stat that I could find considering how much depth of talent they have on their roster. And so far it's working. And I think they they were going to have a difficult time getting out of the first round but they have a real good opportunity in game five now oh absolutely well and you know it it is working to some extent although there are just moments where mckinnon and and rantanen and then the 3d and i sort of lump all three of the d into this conversation because devon taves bowen byram and mccarr have all been at just an extraordinarily high level in this series and there are moments where that plays I, i mean you look at the two goals that Miko Rantanen scored yesterday. And like, I really, I really urge your listeners to go watch the highlight of his first goal. So the rush goal that he scored, like it's a well-played three on three. Uh, Rantanen's the trailer and Wenberg gets back and is in front of him when he sort of gets a pass from McKinnon that, that McKinnon had to make a move to set up and, and Rantanen controls it with one hand. Like he moves the stick to his right hand and controls it on the backhand by like sort of hitting it to himself across his body. And that beak completely throws off both Philip Grubauer and Wenberg, who's a pretty reliable mm-hmm. two-way center, uh, in one motion. And then it's basically a one-timer. Like he, he almost one-times it to himself across the body, deking out two players while doing it. I mean, that's fabulous stuff. I, I, truly, one of, like it's subtle. But that was one of the most remarkable highlights I've seen this year. I, I honestly was floored noticing it in real time. And, and it's even better on the highlight if you watch it closely. Like, just watch that bit of skill. Uh, and then a second goal on the power play. Like, truly, this, these guys are throwing fireballs. Like, these, these, are, mm-hmm. these are fireballers pitching 102 miles per hour right now in the series. And they're going to yeah. have to, right? Like, they've had to do that. Well, what's concerning, I think, if you're Colorado, is that as good as Rantanen was yesterday... And as good as McKinnon has been all series, like Alexander Georgiev was their best player and, and by a fair margin, and they still lost. Yep. Mm-hmm. And, and, and now you're without Makar, who's been the puppet master uh, for this team all season, but especially in this series, you know, they're, they're in a tough spot. This is going to be a big load 
on Rantanen and McKinnon. Um, and then you sort of look up and down uh, the lineups, and it's like the, the Avs had to play five forwards for 20 minutes or more. Uh, you know, you, you sort of look at the, the crux of the game, and, and they even shortened their bench in terms of Josh Manson no longer seeing regular shifts uh, as the game went on. And, and, you know, I think he played uh, two or three shifts in about 15 minutes on the game clock when he gets beat by Tanev and, and Schwartz and takes the penalty uh, that Everly capitalizes on to sort of win the game. Uh, they've got guys like Mulgan and Myers. They were, you know, sub six minutes in a, in a playoff game that went to overtime. Um, they just don't have a lot. Like, they don't have a lot. And now, and now that they've woken the Kraken up, right, now that the Kraken were chasing heads and playing more physically – like, that just increases the wear and tear on the players that the Avalanche are riding, you know, some of these forwards like their defensemen, um, and who they're going yeah. to need to be at just an extraordinarily high level if they're going to, you know, um, avoid uh, being sort of victimized in the first round in a, in a pretty significant upset. Yeah. Yep, it's it's still going to be tough because the Avs have, you know, been there, done that. They do have the experience of having won the Stanley Cup the last time it was awarded, but the Kraken have guys yep. who have been there, done that. And Yanni Gord has been just the – I mean, I think we already knew this based on what we saw from him in Tampa, but I think he's like the perfect playoff player. <laughs> yeah, I love watching this guy play in the postseason. There's, uh, there's an interesting sort of thought, too, where – you know, watching Gord chase McKinnon around the ice. And, and look, McKinnon's had moments where he's absolutely taken over this series. In game two, game three was one of the most dominant individual performances uh, you'll ever see live in the Stanley Cup playoffs from McKinnon. But yeah. Gord, Gord feels like he's designed in a lab to chase this guy around mm -hmm. in a playoff series. And boy, might that have been <laughs> useful for the Tampa Bay Lightning a year ago, right? Which, you know, I yeah. think speaks to sort of the challenge that the teams have and, and, and an advantage that the Kraken have had in, in constructing a team capable of doing even this, right? Which is playing the defending cup champs uh, with, you know, four, four or five super elite players at the absolute top of their games to a draw through four games in the series. And, you know, they'll go into game five as, you know, uh, far, far like, not significant underdogs on the betting lines relative to where you would have expected uh, prior to the series. And, and, you know, that's that the cap comes for all teams, right? Like the, the hard cap comes for all teams. Uh, great teams like Colorado get hollowed out extraordinarily quickly. Uh, Tampa, we've seen it happen too. And, you know, the flip side of that coin is if you're the Kraken and you're born into a league where teams are restricted in what they can spend on their rosters, on their personnel, um, you know, you have $81.5 in cap space. You're inheriting zero bad contracts. There are no mm -hmm. mistakes yet. And, and, you know, you could argue that the Kraken have maybe made a few. Philip Grubauer's been good in, that, in this series, but I don't know that you'd want that deal on your books if you were any other team. That said, you know, you look at how they've gotten here. You look at, you know, the, the flexibility to sign, sign Schultz and Schwartz and trade, for, you know, Magic Beans for Oliver Bjorkstrand. Um, sign Martin <laughs> Jones after Drieger gets hurt. You know, $2 million clip for this year. Um, they've been able to graft a fair bit of talent, e even if you didn't like how they managed their expansion draft. And I didn't, mm -hmm. uh, through, through pure restraint, through, through the flexibility 
to just keep grafting talent onto their roster using, you know, uh, the, the most valuable cudgel, the most valuable resource in, in the scarce resource environment that NHL teams operate in, which is, at the end of the day, cap space. It's, uh, it's been an interesting thing to watch, and, uh, you know, it's not, again, talking to Flames and Canucks fans, like it, the bad news is they're going to have a lot of f- cap flexibility again this summer, mm-hmm. and now we're going to be able to pitch players pretty credibly uh, come join us playing world-class facilities for a raucous fan base, and you'll probably make the playoffs. Uh-huh. I think for all the you know mistakes people kind of called Ron Francis out for of the expansion draft, like, oh, how are you not going to take Vladimir Tarasenko? How are you going to not pick this, that, whatever guy? I think it's mm-hmm. aged very well based on the flexibility that he created for himself. Um, like this was always the plan, right? They always wanted cap space and they always wanted their young prospects. And I think, you know, it's been so interesting to track Seattle versus Vegas because Vegas doesn't have a Maddie Beniers playing meaningful minutes in the postseason right now because they traded that, you know, Maddie Beniers type player. <laughs> player. You know, mind sure. you, they have, mind you, they have Mark Stone and Jack Eichel and Alex Petrangelo playing really well in the postseason, but they've taken two different paths. And I think it'd be kind of fun to see those two teams play against each other in the playoffs i don't know if that's possible we'll see how it goes but uh no no, and it's interesting too because you know i I do think one of the limitations that the kraken are going to bump into that's sort of been clarified by what they've seen on the other side of this series is you know i mean this is no secret i'm not breaking ground here but how do you get a byram a rantanen a mckinnon and a mccarr picking the top 10 picking the top 10 right i mean that's not that's not new and, and, you know, the Kraken, they, they got Matty Beneers, uh, Shane Wright fell into their laps. But do you think that team's picking in the top ten in the next couple of years? Like, doesn't look like it, right? I mean, they look nope. to be a pretty sustainable playoff caliber team in, in terms of their construction. Obviously, anything can happen in terms of injuries or tough goaltending or, or whatever. So how do they graft? How do they find their Ranton and their McKinnon, their McCarr answer um, given sort of how quickly they've emerged as a middle-of-the-road caliber team. Uh, you know, that's sort of going to be the fascinating challenge here. And, and, you know, Vegas, basically, they sort of built a middle-of-the-road caliber team that happened to catch fire and make the Stanley Cup playoffs in year one. But what have they done since? They've gone big game hunting every offseason. Pacioretty, Stone, Eichel, Pietrangelo. And, I mean, you can add star-level players uh, in, in the NHL, particularly if you harvest as many assets as Vegas did uh, right out of the gate uh, with a predatory expansion process. But, you know, <laughs> at the end of the day, at the end of the day, you still, like, cap space rule, might rule the offseason, but you need elite players in May and April and June. And, uh, you know, the, the Vegas experience has shown us, but it's also shown us how expensive it is to add that type of player. Absolutely. Uh, All right, this was a fun little spin around the Pacific Northwest slash Western Conference with you, Thomas. Thank you so much for doing this. We'll do this again. Do you get to go back to Seattle or no? You back in van? No, um, I don't know. I'll I'll, I'll see. I mean, I I wanted to go down for these two games and cover sort of the the Kraken's first playoff experience. Now I'm back in Vancouver. It's sunny. I'm going to go to the beach. So we'll see. We'll see where I'm at later in the week. All right. Amazing. Love that for you. Thanks for doing this. Enjoy the beach. (laughs) Thanks for having me, Haley. Cheers. Bye. All right.
There goes Thomas Jance. You can hear him on Sportsnet 650 in Vancouver, uh, covers the Canucks for the Athletic and was, as you heard, in Seattle for their first two playoff home games ever. The biggest, uh, biggest cracking games in, in their in their history. Live here on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. We will talk to you guys tomorrow.